Welcome back to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. I'm excited to introduce today's guest, who everyone knows as a great advocate for all things New England baseball. Peter Gammons has been dedicated to promoting teams, coaches, players in the region since he started writing about baseball more than 50 years ago. The Groton native has covered baseball for outlets such as the Boston Globe, Sports Illustrated, and ESPN. He is currently a contributor to The Athletic and the MLB Network. Peter breaks down the New England draft prospects for the 2021 MLB draft and also gives his opinion of Kurt Schilling's Hall of Fame candidacy. He weighs in on Alex Cora's return to the Red Sox, and he also gives us his favorite team to cover during his illustrious career. Let's get right to the interview with legendary sports writer Peter Gammons. Peter, thanks so much for joining the pod. Oh, thank you very much. This has been a, uh, just talking about this with a couple of people around the country about this is, uh, this is a really good time uh, in New England baseball. I mean, there are, there are a lot of players looking forward to the draft around in college baseball. I think for one thing, I think people are being fair about looking at players from New England. And I, I think that, I think there are a, you know, there are some of the places where they can work out and learn and get condition. Eric Cressy's place and, and so forth. It's much better attention on it. And I think uh, I, I often have thought, I just hope that they don't go to all showcase baseball. I hope that they keep playing games. And I think it's really worked out very well that they do. And I, I also think the work that Matt Hyde and Ray Fagnett do just you know, finding players, getting to know everybody, you know, have, playing as many games as they do. I, it amazed me last summer how much they weren't just going out to California and, and playing in the air or Alabama or wherever they were, Georgia, to see the area code games. I mean, they, they were going, they were playing a lot. I saw a couple of games with future leagues teams. And they just, the players get much better. And the combination of the instruction and the fact that they're playing not just putting on, you know, being judged on velocity and batting practice, I think has really, uh, really been an indication of, of how much better it gets. I mean, you know, the fact that uh, we could have two years in a row where New England preppies who went to Wake Forest end up in the first round is pretty impressive. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's an honor to talk some baseball with you. And it's, it's always been, um, you know, even after years of covering the game at the highest level, which you have, it's always, uh, refreshing to see that you're so so in tune to the local, you know, even high school and prep players. And I know that you got a chance to see some of those top guys, like you said, in uh, in the Futures League, as well as the Area Code Games tryouts last year, uh, last summer. And like you said, they were competitive situations. They were games. They weren't just, uh, let's get the exit velocity when this guy's taking batting practice. And you saw some guys like Josh Baez and Jonathan Santucci of Phillips Andover. I think you may have seen Thomas White, who's a younger guy. He's a sophomore this year, pitcher from Phillips Andover. Uh, what what were your impressions of the high school talent from New England? Well, I'll tell you, I'll start with the Baez because I'm I'm a, a supporter and worker with the base in Boston. And, and I mean, here's a kid who came over, and I think he was in the sixth grade when he got I uh, was going to a, a middle school in Mattapan where they didn't do English as a second language, and basically nobody was speaking uh, Spanish. And he did it on his own. I mean, he went to the base, used all the laptops they have here, learned English, 
I mean, now he's so, I mean, he's a very smart kid and so driven. And somebody recently said, well, what do you know about his makeup? I said, when classes ended, what, about March 20th, March 25th. Right. And they had to do it online. He didn't miss a, He did not miss a class at, at the Dexter School. He even took a couple of extra courses during the summer. And very important to me, I, we used to kid about this, um, wherever they played, he was always the first person to show up at the ballpark. Right. He was the first right. one to drive in. I mean, I just think he's I, – I don't know where he goes in the draft. If he ends up being, say, a high second rounder, and the money that you make there, can he afford not to take the money and go go play? I mean, it's it's great going to Vanderbilt and everything, and I know he wants it very badly, uh, and as does Ivan uh, uh, Ivan Arias, and who's a, ju- a junior now. Right. But you know, it's they don't exactly grow up, um, you know, on a family that's a third generation Andover Groton uh, family. You know. Yeah. So. It's a hard, but it's it's great, and and I think that the way the the, the base I to me is the best inner city program in the country, but because it's so educationally oriented, you have to you have to study for two hours before you can go play play anything, but it's really important. And I think that the the pride in New England, the number of guys, uh, I mean, we just the fact Boston College has three. Guys, I mean, Tolio, I know, is San Diego, but I'm, I guess his family's originally from New England. Huh. And um, they have those three guys and first, second, third round picks. I I, I have I saw quite a bit of Morissette playing for Bourne a couple of years ago in the Cape. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's a really good player uh, and really plays the game right. But, I mean, that that's that's a real testament. And you go around and you look around and Ryan Cusick um, – for Avon Old Farms is going to be, you know, and Sudbury is probably going to be a first rounder. Um, to me, pretty, pretty remarkable. I mean, to have again have the Schuster kid go from Wake Forest, and well, he was a Tabor kid, and then be a number one pick this last year. And um, I find it it's really fun. I, I really do. And I'm I remember when I started at the Globe, I covered. I was covering high school baseball like a lot of people, but I would go to the games. I mean, I, I love going out to the games. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Bob Ryan used to kid me about, you made up, there really wasn't a guy named Jerry Rummy, was there? Yes, I, it was. And he was a great high school player. And Glenn Tufts and uh, Mark Bomback and guys like that. I mean, uh, I, I love going out there to the game. Billy Travers and people like that. Ace Adams, who went on to be an extraordinary coach, but he did strike out Dave Winfield four times in a game in college. Um, and it's it's always interested me. I'm a New Englander. i am always been proud of guys who made it. I certainly wasn't good enough. I tried. Um, but it, it's, I think when you grow up here and you love baseball, you root for guys from around here. It was a big deal to me. I can't remember how old I was. I was probably about 14 or 15. It's a big deal to me when Danny Murphy was from St. John's Prep was the, the highest bonus boy in the history of base in the history of baseball. And uh, um, I think there were a lot of people like me that felt the same way. 
Yeah, and that's interesting that um, Baez, I didn't know uh, that he had taught, you know, he had learned to speak English. My wife's in English as a learning language teacher, and that's remarkable that he was able to do that. I've talked to Coach Donato, Danny Donato, about the transition that he had to make to keep up academically at Dexter, and he's he's working just as hard as he is, you know, on the field to make sure that his academics are in order so it's it's great we, we'd love to see guys like that who are from new england who are going to do great things in the sport at the college level i just did a story uh it was our cover story for this next edition and there's a, like you said you know cusick from wake forest is a potential first round pick there's steve hazier who's in michigan uh mike vassal who is a, a bc high alum uh he's down at virginia now but it's just it just seems like this year is loaded with New England prospects. And I don't know if it's because the draft got shortened to five rounds and there's just more guys that are available because uh, they didn't get selected last year. UConn and Northeastern always seem to have some top prospects. Who, who do you like coming out of the college game this year? Steve Hager, too, at Michigan. Yeah, right. Exactly. From, uh, was he North Andover? Yeah, um, he's a North Andover guy. Yep. Central Catholic. And, I mean, he's he's. He's really good. It's kind of a lesson to me in South Freelich, who's really a good player, um, is that he was allowed to just play sports in high school. What was he? He was the, uh, a Gatorade player of the year as a quarterback at Lexington High School. Right. Uh, he was a hockey player, which, of course, endears, it gives him to me, um, and, and baseball. And I think that's so important. You know, rather than be a year-round uh, baseball guy and have to have everything monitored, just go out and play as an athlete is really important. And um, those guys, I mean, I hope Vassal is healthy. I think that's the only thing Yeah. Um, that you worry about with him. Is he healthy? Is his, del- is his delivery back to being normal? Sometimes those schools where they, they really get wrapped up in the way they do deliveries and so forth, it uh, doesn't take into consideration exactly who the person is. To me, a lot of the college program, they're such control freaks that they hurt more players than they help in a lot of situations. But uh, I'll tell you a guy last summer that a um, couple, um, Brandon Dufault is at Northeastern from where Andover, uh, I was really impressed with him. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think he's a guy that he can move fast. I mean, those uh, relievers like that can, can move right through. And uh, I think that makes him um, – Really interesting. Another guy, I know this, he can swing the bat. Now, I don't know what position he's going to play, but Dominic Keegan. Yeah. Um, who's at Vanderbilt from uh, from um, he went to Central Catholic, too. Yeah. He, he's, he was a really, he's a really impressive hitter. And I just don't know if I can think of a time when there were quite that many. I remember, you know, I was still like freshman in high school, but there were a whole bunch of guys in New England. They all got bonuses. Um, mentioned Danny Murphy, Wilbur Wood, Billy McLeod from Gloucester. I think Dick Farrell from uh, from Brookline was in that. Um, there were a whole bunch of guys that were, you know, bonus boys and so forth. But it, it kind of died out in New England for a while. And yeah. uh, I just, it's really fun to see it become such a, such a thing. And, uh, the schools that are really good recruiters. I mean, we know that uh, Vanderbilt, of course, it's it's the coach is a New is a New Hampshire guy. So, but he's always been a master of recruiting the uh, the East Coast and New England. 
to me, it's great to see what Wake Forest has done, what Virginia's done. Duke has become a major, a major Northeast recruiter. And I think it's great. They're all plus Boston College being in the ACC with three potential high draft choices. It's kind of really changed the way people look at New England. I went to North Carolina, so I regret it because they never recruit up here. They used to <laughs> when they were when they were good. They recruited up here, but uh, Mike Fox ended that um, again. And, and I think that, that the way the people are so interested in what happens to uh, to New England kids and the development and the, and the job that Matt and Ray do, uh, and all the people that help out, it's terrific. And the private schools too. It's amazing how much the private schools have really, I think, made baseball a fairly, uh, it's not hockey for the prep schools, but it's it's still become a major sport around New England. Yeah, and you uh, speaking of prep schools, like you talked about some of those great New England drafts. Um, 2014 was Tyler Beattie and Sean Newcomb in the first round. That was a pretty good New England. Oh, yeah. 2011 was uh, Springer, George Springer, um, Barnes, and Beattie, who didn't end up going uh, pro, pro after that year. He ended up going to Vanderbilt. But those are some decent re- uh, recent drafts. As we head into this year's draft, I had mentioned earlier, last year's draft was shortened to five rounds. What do you expect uh, the format to be this year? I think it'll be 20 rounds. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I think that that will ensure that we have, everybody seems to feel Freelix is going to be a first rounder. And Hajar may be two. Vasil, if he has a, has a, if Virginia can play a long enough schedule, maybe he really shows it and really jumps up. I think he'll, you know, and I think certainly a bias is going to be a factor, whether it's first round or high second round. Mm-hmm. I, I Cusick's throwing ninety nine well, or a or hundred. Cusick is. I think Cusick has a really good shot at being a first rounder. Right. That by the way, that, that Wake Forest pitching lab is is phenomenal. I uh, Dave Bush, the Red Sox pitching coach, went to Wake Forest, and I asked him if he ever goes. He said yes. He's been down to it, and um, then I was told that uh, several major league pitching coaches have gone down to Wake Forest to go see what they have, and I think you know just. Reading your publication, I see a lot of names attached to Wake Forest, mm-hmm. Wake Forest and Duke. So that's that's a good thing. I, I don't think we see too many SEC, but you know, baseball where they're recruiting is it's pretty hard to imagine that you know the SEC is going to come up here very often. No, I don't except think for, so. Except for Vanderbilt, of course. But it is it is amazing when you look and see all the names that you use and. Just how many guys are involved with uh, Vanderbilt? It's that's a great thing. It's such a great school and such a great program. I'm still proud that my, that they still refer to Mike Strzemski as the face of Vanderbilt baseball, though. Yeah, yeah. Coach- Even if they will have, um, they'll probably have in Rocker. They'll have the number one pick in the draft, right? And hopefully, uh, a Jack Leiter will be in the top five or six. He has some New England roots because he used to uh, go work and he used to go um, for about eight or 10 years. I think he spent in the summers when his parents would come up to to the Cape. He would go to the Orleans Cardinals, whatever they're called now, um, camp. So, uh, and matter of fact, when he went to Vanderbilt, he made it clear that um, if they played, he wanted to be able to at least 
go to uh, to Orleans because, uh, as you know, a lot of the big schools don't want their pitchers pitching on the Cape or any summer league. Right. Which is, to me, is I kept asking, why is it more important to be uh, pitching in intra-squad games in the fall than pitching against future number one draft choices on the Cape? But sometimes the answer would be well, unsaid control. I like to have the control over the players. Cusick was one of those guys. No, like you said, a lot of guys when the season got called last year, they had, you know, three, four starts under their belt. They were probably 25 innings into their season and they're a lot of coaches shut their players down and they didn't pitch in the futures league. And Cusick was one of those guys. He was down in the coastal plains league and he struck out, I want to say like 48 batters in 21 innings and really kind of cemented his case as a a first round guy. And it can really help you. I think to, like you said, pitch in the summer against real competition rather than the fall in in an inner squad. I know that a Cape league has a special place in your heart. And although, you know, like you said, there was the futures league and it was competitive. What did it mean for you personally that the Cape um, didn't have a season last year? And what do you expect in 2021? Well, I mean, it was, it was really tough. I, People really missed it here. I mean, I live in uh, the last section of Bourne, Catawment, and uh, I really missed it. I mean, it's sort of equidistant between Bourne, Falmouth, and, and Catawent. And uh, it, it all those places missed it badly. I've talked quite a bit with people about it this summer, and I think it's going to be all right. I think I think this idea of having this, sh- this post-draft showcase players in the next draft, the idea of workouts, which really mean, I, what does it mean? Who cares how fast he runs the 60-yard dash? <laughs> I want to see whether he can play in the, in the Cape League playoffs. I mean, that, that's where, um, you know, there, there are some players around that have uh, gone through that and shown something and ended up getting drafted really high and turned out to be really good major league pitchers rather than just, you know, showing that, they could go, they could run a uh, six five sixty or do things like that. And uh, I think that's, it's a mistake. The, the combine idea is nice to a degree, but I don't think it shows people what baseball, play. I think part of that is I think teams would like to cut back on scouts as much as possible. Why? Which is why I think the Red Sox patterning themselves in the mold of the Marlins and the Dodgers. Uh, is really important, and I know if you know, I, I know Theo would be the same way because the scouts are really important they, to get to know the people, get to know the families, understand where they're from. <clears throat> it's kind of like the, one of the greatest baseball people I've ever known is Pat Gillick, who uh, of course won world championships with three different teams. He would not sign a free agent until he had dinner with the player and his wife, and it would he he would have to get to know everybody. And his scouts would, too. John Olerud had missed the season with the uh, aneurysm at Washington State, but he was going to come back and play in the summer, not pitch, but just play. And he had a great scout that that saw all 47 of his games that he played touring all over um, the Western Hemisphere. And the good thing he brought back to Pat was he saw him play 47 games and he never swung and missed. That was a pretty good indication of his bat-to-ball skills. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, 
I, I don't think that the, the Ashoka. I think that they should they should want guys to be playing in playoff games where it matters, and uh, hopefully that will change. Mike Roberts is one of the best when it comes to with ideas about playing. I mean, great coach, phenomenal teacher. Ask Mike Stremski. <laughs> A lot of the other people that are associated with the Cape get together with ideas. I have actually an idea for an alumni association, and you can raise um, raise some money from contributions players for, will make, and I know they will, major league players will make to, to the Cape for all that happened there. And also, um, you know, you get memorabilia that we could sell and really start making the Cape more profitable so that they it's not quite as much of a struggle and you have to ask Major League Baseball for as much. I still don't think the commissioner's office understands all the importance of every layer um, in the development of baseball. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, and you had mentioned, you know, Red Sox, you know, modeling their approach to some of these, the Marlins or, or Dodgers and the and I just saw a tweet from you actually that that, I, that I'm thinking of now as you say that because it was uh, it was something to the effect of elitist Red Sox fans are complaining that Haim Bloom uh, is going to take a Tampa Bay Rays approach and your point was that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world considering the Rays have finished ahead of the Red Sox in eight of the last thirteen seasons. How do you think uh, Red Sox fans will see Haim Bloom's influence on the organization and do you think they're willing to uh, be patient? Well, I think the first thing he has to do is re- retool the organization and um build the depth and the other day um i looked at my laptop and i had the email from the um red sox pr department about you know who was you know organizational changes and i i printed it out and looked at it i went this is unbelievable it seemed like there were like 300 names on it and you know people for the 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 psychological part of the game on every level with every team two and three pitching coaches and all the rest. I had a, a general manager in the national league say to me that he'd been studying the Rays because they were working on, on a deal. And he said, you know, I can honestly say I've been in baseball for in, in the development and in the major leagues for 20 something years. And, and Tampa's farm system, uh, what they have is the best I've ever seen. And they do it right. I mean, You've got to develop your own players. You want to, if you want to be able to afford the big players, you've got to have a lot of players playing for the minimum who are good. And I think in, in most cases with the Red Sox, they've had that. 2013, they were just bringing up Bogarts and people like that. Um, 2007, you think about John Lester, uh, a year from being diagnosed with cancer. Jacoby Ellsbury going up double A, triple A, big leagues and being a star in the World Series. Dustin Pedroia in his second year. They had some of their key players on that team were minimum salary guys. Right. And that's important because then you can afford the big salary guys. But also I think there's a continuity in an organization to developing. And that's, and I was just doing something, writing something to the Atlantic about the, the pitching staffs in the American East and how the pitching coaches are, are looking at spring training, how whatever form it takes. 
I mean, Tampa's got like four guys that they that have yet to pitch in the big leagues. They think are all going to be the, the next generation of star pitchers, and I'm I'm amazed by it. But I see it, and there's always that enthusiasm that that they have, and uh, and and they're so good at the time, and they don't rush them. They don't bring them. Yeah, but Clanahan may be up there pitching this year. I could see that. I'm not sure if they'll push Shane Boz or not. Um, I know there are all sorts of, you know, comps to uh, Garrett Cole with him. I don't think they would throw him in there this year, but they'll just have in the next in three years from now you'll hear of all these guys pitching for Tampa and being really good, just the way that some of their younger pitchers are right now. Yeah, and um, when you talk about the importance of development, uh, my local minor league affiliate was the Lowell Spinners. And I'm concerned that I, I used to love going to Spinner's games and just watching the, you know, the prospects you talked about. Some of those big Red Sox prospects you uh, you mentioned came up through the organization and played in Lowell. What do you think will be the lasting impact? And what do you think will get back to normal? I don't think they'll ever expand back. And uh, there'll be a lot of uh, baseball played at spring training camps. Um, they'll, they'll probably have like an extended, extended spring. They may expand the Dominican Summer League a little bit. One thing about Lowell, I believe, is coming back after this year. Uh, I think that that they can leave Salem, use Lowell in some some other form of league, maybe even the the, um, South Atlantic League or make it the North Atlantic League. Hmm. Um, but it was my understanding that they will get Lowell back, but they couldn't get out of Salem this year. So something to that degree, which will really be great. Also, it's I think, I, again, I mean, I'm a New Englander, so I love it. But it, having form, if you have Lowell and Portland and Worcester, you know, um, you develop fans as well as players. I I love walking into Pawtucket and starting up that you know that walkway yeah. and seeing all the murals of the players, seeing a mural of Bobby Ojeda and John Tudor and guys who played there. I, I just saw it's such a part of Red Sox culture, and I think you know I mean all the players we've seen. I remember going to see a game in, in, with Annabelle Sanchez pitching in Lowell mm-hmm. and calling up Eddie Romero and, and uh, Craig Shipley and going, I mean. This guy looks to me like he's going to be a tremendous big league pitcher and being so excited about seeing Annabelle Sanchez. Well, I think it spent two years on the disabled list in the Dominican Summer League, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. But, I mean, you, you remember that stuff. going to Portland. I remember many, many years ago going, um, my parents lived in Groton, and my brother and I were visiting there, and we drove up to Manchester, New Hampshire a couple of times because we wanted to see uh, Cecil Cooper playing in uh, in Manchester at the time. It must have been Pittsfield playing at uh, Manchester. But, he, he, I mean, we were just we were in awe of thinking, wow, Cecil Cooper is going to be the next next great star. Unfortunately, he got traded for George Scott, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to minor league baseball. That's the way it it always goes. The guys are supposed to be the next star and then they're gone. But uh, I wanted to ask about uh, Alex Cora. I I heard him in the background. I think you were listening to MLB Network or something like that. And I heard him talking. 
I like out, you know, I think in Boston, it's so hard to find someone who has the respect of the players, who is able to command the media and just do all the parts of the job that can be very difficult. And I thought he did it. I'm glad that he's back. Did you feel he deserved an opportunity to come back as manager of the Red Sox? Absolutely. Yeah. There were so many different factors in Houston. Um, yeah, I, I, I laugh when I, well, you know, uh, Beltron and Cora set up the whole, they didn't go up there and start screwing special cameras and stuff like that. It's, come on. I mean, we understand that. But one thing I really like, um, many reasons, I, I, I've known Alex pretty well since 2002. In a spring training, I spent about three days in Dodger Town one time. And all their players were telling me and coaches were telling Alice Cora is like the smartest guy <laughs> coming. And uh, he he loves development. He loves young players. I mean, he he was really jacked. Uh, even though he wasn't running the, the Cogos team this winter, Vasquez was. And, uh, you know, I mean, they were all so excited about the way Darren Duran, Duran played not only in terms of what his numbers were, it was more important. He busted his tail every day. And then, you know, at the end, uh, Vasquez said, well, I mean, this guy's one of the best base runners I've ever seen, and he, he can hit, and um, he gets better all the time in the outfield. I mean, I remember seeing him play, I guess it was 2000, was it 17, on the Cape. He was a second baseman. And until he went to the outfield, he wasn't really wasn't freed up to be who he is. But now he is. I mean, that, that speed, it didn't play in the infield. It plays in the outfield. And uh, I think most of the people in the organization think he's going to be a tremendous player. And also give them something. I, I spent time with him, talking to him about his game. And he said, you know, people say that some of the guys who are really big analytics people say, well, runs are coincidental. No, they're not. Some guys can really score, know how to get advanced from base to base. Uh, know how to sc- score from first on a double, score from uh, go first to third, go second to home. I mean, and it's something he's he's driven by that stuff. And I think that's what will make him a really good player, a really good offensive player. And then, of course, as we've seen, he's pretty big. I mean, the exit velocity and all that stuff is uh, really impressive. I, I've been a, a fan of yours for a long time. My brother and I, when we were growing up, used to watch ESPN and watch um... – you know, your breakdowns and we'd always laugh at how much knowledge you had and could remember on the spot. I watched your uh, Hall of Fame speech in 2005 and I got a huge kick out of the fact that you interrupted the speech to announce to the audience that uh, Manny Ramirez would not be traded from the Red Sox that year. It was right at the deadline and uh, I got a huge kick out of I'd that. Like, I'd, like to th- I, I'd, like, I'd like to thank Theo for texting me at the right moment. <laughs> Well, that's, yeah, well, if you've earned that from Theo, then there you go. But uh, <laughs> I wanted to ask about the Hall of Fame in regards to Kurt Schilling. He was this. He was the big guy, uh, newsy guy who didn't get in this time around. And he was so close. Is Kurt Schilling a Hall of Famer in your view? I don't, there's no question in my mind that he's a Hall of Famer. And as a matter of fact, in 2015, Pedro and Randy Johnson were inducted. And on Mondays in Cooperstown, the day after the induction, annually I do a round table with all the players that are inducted. 
it's for people who help out the help out the hall and are on the board and also you know fans that you know just it's a way of helping finance the whole weekend i was sitting between randy and pedro and i said well you know what about do you guys think kurt Schilly should be in the hall of fame and they both went absolutely and they gave their reasons randy was great saying people used to say that we were kind of rival we weren't what made this each better was the fact that we competed not against each other but with each other i wanted to be better than kurt kurt wanted to be better than me it wasn't that we were rooting against one another it was great for both of us and pedro talked about how he learned a lot about preparation from Kurt and when you know Pedro had his arm problems and then but went on for another five years with the Mets and the Phillies he said yeah Kurt had something to do with that I, I covered him a lot in Philadelphia and then you know in Arizona and then with the Red Sox none of that other stuff came up he was never a racist it was never he did spend a lot of time watching video he once he he was one of the first players to have his own system I did a piece on it for ESPN, and he showed me 50 consecutive 0-2 pitches to Craig Biggio and what Biggio did. I mean, I found it fascinating. Yeah, Kurt was always talkative, uh, wouldn't always agree. He would get on me at times, gets on me worse on Twitter about political things, but it doesn't bother <laughs> me at all. But I I wish that he hadn't. You know, the thing about hanging the, the, the writer – I know he regrets that. I don't believe it's his politics. And I think it's very hard to say he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because he's a, he, he, he likes Stephen Miller or whatever. Um, I mean, the owner of the San Francisco Giants um, contributed to two uh, female Congress people who are somewhere from the planet of Pluto. I mean, and I, so I understanding the same thing for the owner of Arizona. You, you just, you, you can't have it. Owners don't get a pass and players, players get the pass. Owners have to, too. And I really don't think it's relevant. I mean, Bob Ryan had a great tweet about all the people, all the things that Steve Carlton believed in. Yeah. And every one of us voted for Steve Carlton first. Bob. I have voted for Schilling every time out. I did it tweet back and forth to him the day of our, our announcement show. And I just said to him, I, you know, I, I hope you're not withdrawing or getting to upset because you belong in there and it's one more year. I do think that his requesting to go off the ballot will hurt him because I think there are a lot of people around the country that will say he wants to be a martyr. I'm not voting for him. I'm sorry because he worked so hard to get where he was. He was such a, he still has the best record um, all time of any postseason pitcher. Now, Koufax or Gibson didn't pitch as many games and didn't quite qualify for those, but still, he was great. And the, the fact that five times he started in elimination games when the game, the team he was pitching for could be eliminated including the Red Sox in New York and Philadelphia um, against Toronto five times. And every time his team won the game. And I think that really means something. That means he could always pitch. 
I love what he said to me one time. Uh, looking back about a year ago, I was talking to him about pitching in the postseason. And he said, I don't want to hear that the postseason doesn't mean anything. It's not for me I'm talking about, but to me, every pitch you throw in the postseason should be thrown as if it's two outs, bases loaded, three and two in the ninth inning of the seventh game. And that's entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, throw it like it's life or death. That's a good – I read a, a column from Sean McAdam that kind of had the same takeaway. Like the the Kurt Schilling you see on Twitter is not the Kurt Schilling that he knew, you know, meeting and t- having good discussions with him in the clubhouse for years and years and years. And, you know, maybe it's just Twitter people getting emboldened to say crazy things. Or, um, But I think you're right, the fact that he did ask to be – removed from consideration i think some writers he kind of insulted the and said you know when when i get into the veterans committee those are the people who whose opinions i care about i think maybe some people will feel insulted by that and take it personally and but i think you're right he that 2004 team was so much fun to watch and you hate to see uh, a guy get punished for stuff that happens after his career but um was that, I would say the 2000, it seems like that 2004 team was everybody's favorite championship team of the Red Sox over the last 20 years. And then each one, it gets a little less exciting or special. Was that the most fun you've had covering a team? No, that was really a fun team. Um, such characters and the great ability of Terry Francona to let players be who they who they are. And... It was really difficult doing what they did, being down 3 nothing to the Yankees. Not just, you know, it's the Yankees, but uh, they were so loose. They're down 3 nothing, and there's Millar. You know, they better win tonight. And, and I think Cole Pat Murphy, who's now coaching with uh, the Brewers, who was the guy that recruited Dustin Pedroia to, uh, to Arizona State, and to this day, they're very close. And we were talking about team, and... I mean, and how you know, Craig Council, his manager, was a great manager, was always like a 22nd, 23rd guy on teams. I, he played for two or three World Series champions and how important those guys are. And I, I raised this question and you can't do it by war. You can't, but you, you do it by the personality. And, uh, and that is, if the Red Sox hadn't signed Kevin Millar for the 2003 series season, would they have won in 2004? I mean, he was so, you know, so he and uh, Bellhorn and Trot Nixon out riding their motorcycles at two o'clock in the morning after they, they clinch. I mean, the, the, that team had a, a loosest and had no fear of losing. And I think that's so important. I think teams have them. I, I told Ben Charrington a couple of weeks ago because I'm I'm a completely a fanatic about the importance of having a great right fielder in Fenway Park, right and center, because there's so much room in the outfield and how Clemens used used to use that. I mean, Schilling, speaking of Schilling, he was throwing 85 miles an hour when they were winning the World Series in 2007. Right. But he knew how to make fly balls go to the big part of the ballpark. And I said to Ben, you signed a guy, you had one – signing that nobody would think of because, well, if war wasn't this, what they don't win in 2013 if it's not for Shane Victorino. 
I thought he was one of the most, the most important signings that the Red Sox have made in the last 20 years because he was so great in the outfield and he had that little, he, you know, he was like, uh, he was like Johnny McKenzie or, you know, he, he had a little prickly personality that annoyed other teams and so forth. It was great for the team. And, um, of course, he did hit the home run after they took Scherzer out in game six, um, which was really important. They were down, what, when Scherzer left the game, they were down two to one. Guys like that, Victorino and Billy Miller and um, and, and Millar, are really important. It'll be interesting. I, I, I think this year, being around the Dodgers a lot, and having some very close friends who are on that staff and play on that team. I think Kike Hernandez is that kind of guy for this team. I'm on the, the, the committee for the, the uh, uh, fielding Bible to read through, to go through all those statistics and then do, do all the video and so forth. But I mean, Dave Roberts said it very well. I mean, Kike Hernandez is a gold glove defender at five positions. And he, again, he has got that little prickly personality and, he loves being on the big stage. He brings something really special to this team, and I thought that was a great signing. Um, in fact, um, Mr. Roberts uh, made sure that uh, to, to text me and say the Red Sox got the right guy for this team, and they're you know for to give them some spunk and to get them back. And I, I think uh, I know he wasn't the biggest name signing, but I think he's going to be a really important signing and. Watch it play second base. It is incredible. Yeah, you need guys like that. I mean, you think of Victorino. He was on some great Phillies teams, too. You just need guys who are infused the team with that energy. And he was a great right fielder at Fenway Park, too. Um, he could really, you know, cover a lot of ground, and he had a great arm. So he was kind of the perfect fit here. Well, Ryan Dempster one time came down, sat down next to me where I used to have season tickets, and he said, do me a favor next couple of games. Don't watch the pitcher and catcher. I know it's hard because you're you're in right near the screen, but watch just watch Shane Victorino for four innings. How he positions himself. I'll bet you there are about three balls that you think a routine plays, but he had moved before the pitch and already was got a jump on the ball before it it, it went out of the infield, and he was right. And Victorino is a great right fielder and also unafraid of going for it down the line and not playing it safe so that the ball ends up going around the corner and makes for an inside-the-park home run. So uh, uh, he was a really important guy. And um, But I will say this. Before uh, I could tell Ben who I was talking about, he said, Shane Victorino. <laughs> he, he, knew, he knew who it was. Uh, it's funny. Well, Peter, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been great. Uh, it's been an honor to talk baseball with you, and I'm so no, glad I, that I got a chance I, to do it. Believe me, I, I thank you for all the work. I, I love reading it and following everybody. I really, I mean, it's it's part of the fun of baseball. I mean, I you know, I started writing for Baseball America in 1981 when when uh, it was it was being printed up in uh, on on the Canadian uh, Washington border. So. Uh, when Alan Simpson had just had started it up. And uh, I think it's a big part of being a fan. I can remember as a kid, you know, waiting to get the sporting news every week and looking to see, you know, who got up into the top 10 and hitting for the Raleigh uh, 
uh, for the Raleigh Red Sox Capitals or whatever they were called, or Winston-Salem when they were there and so forth. It's just the nature of being a baseball fan. And if you love it, that I think it's a big part of, of being a fan. That's right, yeah. And it's so great to hear that you still love it with the same passion. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. You've been great, and hopefully we'll catch up again soon sometime. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Firecracker Sports serves all first-time and experienced coaches that are looking for quality showcase tournaments to promote their players and teams. Firecracker Sports offers the most independently operated baseball and softball events in the Northeast region with qualified staff and college coaches to help you and your players get maximum promotion. Besides events, you can get all of your baseball or softball needs with Firecracker Sports, player profiles, hotels, and even facility sales now. With Firecracker Sports, you can save time, effort, and money by getting all of your events, college resources, and customer attention in one place every season. Visit firecrackersports.com to visit the home of Showcase Baseball and Softball. The winter edition of New England Baseball Journal is being shipped to subscribers and the digital edition is available at BaseballJournal.com. The cover story for this edition focuses on the top three pitching prospects heading into the 2021 MLB Draft. Wake Forest junior Ryan Cusick tops the list after spending the fall season in the Wake Forest Pitching Lab grooming his 100-mile-an-hour fastball. North Andover native Steve Hajar, a redshirt sophomore at the University of Michigan, could make a leap into the first round after making just four starts at the college level due to an ACL tear as a freshman and an early end to the 2020 season due to the pandemic. Virginia junior Mike Vassell could also boost his stock after an injury-plagued start to his college career. He was considered one of the top high school prospects in the nation out of BC High. Also in the winter edition, we have college previews for D1, D2, and D3 schools. We ranked all of the top teams and players. And we have prep and high school previews for all of the conferences around the New England region. Visit BaseballJournal.com to view any of those stories. That's it for the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Thanks again to Peter Gammons for joining the pod. You can visit BaseballJournal.com to follow all of our coverage of the top prospects, as well as college prep and high school baseball. Follow us on Twitter at NE underscore baseball. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media podcast.